Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, diabetes late night. I think it's so cute, and I think it's so sweet. How you let your friends encourage you to try and talk to me. But let me stop you there, oh, before you No, my sign is no, my number is no mm. You need to let it go, mm. you need to let it go mm. Need to let it go My name is no, my sign is no, my number is no You need to let it go, you need to let it go Need to let it go First you gonna say, you ain't running game They cannot believe in every word Call me beautiful, so original No, my sign is no, my number is no You need to let it go, you need to let it go Need to let it go My name is no, my sign is no Hello, my name is Mr. Diva Bedick, and I'm saying hello. Are you ready? Because I'm ready to welcome you to Diabetes Late Night in October. Thank you for tuning in. Again, I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and tonight we're talking about body image and diabetes with musical inspiration from Megan Trainer, courtesy of Sony Music. Megan Trainer says her new, her new album entitled Thank You is a tribute to her family and fans, and she hopes people see that she's a songwriter first and a pop star second. After all, it was writing all about the bass that in, earned her two Grammy nominations and a win for Best New Artist last year. Now, even though she's famous for being all about the bass, Megan told Entertainment Tonight that she still gets discouraged about comparing herself to other people. She recently filmed a music video, and she admitted she felt insecure and self-conscious appearing next to all the great bodies of the dancers in her video. Well, our Grammy Award-winning diva inspiration, Megan Trainer, isn't alone. Currently, 80% of women in the U.S. are dissatisfied with their body image. Tonight, we're talking about the impact of what you see in the mirror has on your diabetes self-care. My guests include Chef Robert Lewis, poet Lorraine Brooks, Cindy Lou, Doris Hobbs, Dr. Arnaud Krongard, Linda Bracero Morel, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, and Mama Rosemarie. Now, throughout the podcast, we'll be playing featured songs from Megan Trainer's new album, Thank You, courtesy of Sony Music. But before we get things started, I want to take a minute and acknowledge that today, October 11th, is National Coming Out Day. I want to let you know that I'm gay and I'm happy to and healthy to serve as an inspiration to anyone who's listening who might be struggling with the decision to come out. According to the Trevor Project, lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide than their straight peers, and nearly half of all transgender individuals report attempting suicide at one point in their lives. I'm sharing my story to let you know that pushing past the shame and blame 
and openly acknowledging who you are to your friends and family is truly an expression of self-love. I credit my struggle with my sexuality and acceptance for creating DivaBetic. I founded DivaBetic, a national nonprofit organization primarily focused on women with diabetes 11 years ago. And since that time, I've been helping hundreds of thousands of women and men living with diabetes to feel better about themselves and their health by accepting who they are. I encourage you, if you need more help in dealing with this issue, to please call the Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender Hotline at one 843 Now, let's take a minute to donate to DivaBetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. We're going to get on the show, on with the show. Our Diva Inspiration, Megan Trainer experimented with all kinds of different musical sounds on this album, uh, including tropical and Caribbean sounds, which are prominent in this ballad entitled Better, featuring rapper Yo Gotti. Let's take a listen to Better. And that's so better. Better than you I deserve better Better than you Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedic. Tonight we're talking about body image and diabetes. Now, according to Refinery uh, Magazine, 29, 60, sorry, Refinery 29, that's the website, 67% of American women are defined by being plus size, which is sizes 14 and up. Yet, consistently, they're absent in media. If uh, there's only about 2% of the, these images are seen in the media. And how would that make you feel about your body? Or how would it help you brighten someone else's uh, expectations or thoughts about their own body image? Well, numerous studies have shown that people who have a sense of purpose have a better sense of health and a better relationships and better overall sense of well-being. According to a new book, Love Your Body, Love Your Life, by body expert Sarah Maria, she wants people to focus on discovering the greater purpose in their lives by writing their own mission statement. Well, since writing seems to come so easily to my first guest, I'm dying to find out what her mission is. Please welcome Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you tonight? I'm very well. How are you? Good. Hey, congratulations on doing a great job on last month's um, Suspect Boulevard, our mystery podcast. You played the narrator, and you were fantastic, as always. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun, as always, and I'm looking forward to the next murder mystery for 2017. I hear it's going to happen at the Mermaid Parade in Coney Island, and later (laughs) on I'm going to be talking all about Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs with Chef Robert Lewis. (laughs) But, you know, we're going to be hot dogs. Yes, good. Yeah, we're gonna. He's gonna tell. He said uh, he might be able to share a recipe on how to make healthy pigs in the blanket, if that's something on everyone's uh, menu, party menus for the fall. But you know, oh. you and I, right before that uh, mystery podcast, we're talking about body image and specifically 
we dealt with this topic a couple months ago. However, tonight we want to kind of talk about it from how other people might view our body image. And in that conversation you had, that kind of inspired me to want to do um, revisit the topic and do tonight's show. We were talking about how our healthcare providers might look at us. And I was wondering if you wanted to share a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I remember that conversation. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I sometimes um, – have experienced in the past um, a feeling of being um, judged or seen as not maybe non-compliant or, you know, not doing everything that I should be doing in terms of my diabetes care. And um, it, it's very difficult to be in that position and be a patient, especially if you know that you are following all the directions and you are doing everything that you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes, uh, you know, life gets in the way and things don't always work the way they should and everybody's body is different. So, yeah, I've experienced that a few times in my life and I wanted to say it out loud because I think probably other people have experienced it too and it's very hard to um, for some people to question their healthcare professionals or to feel negatively towards their healthcare professionals, but I think it's a conversation that you need to have. Well, there is a lot of research out there about body shaming and the negative effects it has on people. It could lead to isolation. It could lead to self-harm. It could lead to negative self-esteem, and it can decrease your ability to cope um, in general and also lead to bigger mood disorders. So, I mean, it is a real thing that if you're feeling like you're being shamed about the way you look, uh, specifically from your healthcare provider or even from your friends, family, or coworkers, there is a negative impact it can have on you, and that's why it's so important to kind of seek help and try to work through that. Well, you know, if I could just share a quick story with you. Um, I, I had a mammogram today, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say that it was the first time I've had a mammogram in about six or seven years, and I know that's not good. But the reason I was reluctant to have another mammogram was precisely because uh, the last time I had a mammogram, I had large breasts. And the last time I had a mammogram, the person who was doing the mammogram um, said some things to me that were not very nice. And it really shut me down for a long period of time and caused me not to want to go back and get another mammogram. And that is absolutely not a good place to be. So I want to, um, you know, just share that story with all the women out there to you know, not let people do that because it does have uh, an effect on your ability to care for yourself and, and sometimes even your desire to care for yourself is even worse. So I'm proud to say I had a mammogram today and everything was okay, but I waited way too long and I did it. Be, I waited because I was just I felt, you know, a certain way and I didn't want to have to experience that again. No, thank you for sharing that. I just want to point out it's it's not only women either. It does affect men, and later on I'll be talking to Dr. Arnott about how erectile dysfunction and, and male patients deal with body image issues and, and, and why it may be stopping them from seeking help, just like you stated. So I don't want people to think that we're just talking about from a woman's perspective tonight. We'll also be sharing how men deal with this. Now, you do have an incredible sense of humor, Lorraine, and I know this is a difficult topic, but I, I did get to preview her poem, everyone, and I, I have to say, i got to be okay, I think is going to be one of my favorites. So I'm anxious <laughs> to, you to share it with our listeners tonight. Well, thank you, Beck. So the name of my poem for tonight is i got to be okay. 
I'm innocently watching a bit of TV to relax with a hot cup of joe. I put my feet up on the chair next to me and got ready to enjoy the show. I breathed in and out in a sigh of relief as the day is beginning to end. A moment of silence, however brief, in this moment feels like a friend. But just as I start to unwind and get quiet, I feel my jaw start to get tight. A million commercials that tell me to diet, that what I look like isn't right. So come to Weight Watchers or try Jenny Craig. And what about Zumba or swimming? Or how about hopping on just one leg or wearing these pants that are slimming? Or maybe a pill that will help me eat less or an operation on my belly. Or maybe I need to control all my stress so my buttocks won't shake like it's jelly. And books that are titled Eat This and Not That and DVDs set to pop songs and spokespeople yelling get rid of your fat and showing young models in thongs. So I change the channel and what do I see? But more of the same, it's so sad. Get healthy, get fit, it's so easy to be. And making me feel pretty bad. So I turned off the telly and got out a book and started to read for my pleasure. To forget about diets and how I must look and what I should do in my leisure. Because this is the package that I'm wrapped up in and no sense me feeling ashamed. I'll never be skinny or painfully thin, and likely I'll mostly get blamed. But I'm not complaining, well, not anymore. I'm just going to chill and be mellow and celebrate all that my life has in store while enjoying my sugar-free jello. Because in the end, I just want folks to say, even though she did not wear size 7, she was kind, she was honest, and she was okay. And we hope that there's chocolate in heaven. I love it, Lorraine. I really do. And I, I know that having a sense of humor is really important to um, staying healthy, both emotionally, uh, physically, and spiritually. And, and I love the way you uh, wrote about it in this poem. And I just have to ask, because, you know, there's been so much anxiety going on lately. Everyone's aware of the headlines, the presidential debates. I mean, this body image and body shaming we're seeing does have a huge negative impact. We're having experts from all arenas of our lives contribute to why someone running for a higher office or just someone in general making these kind of comments about people is so divisive and so um, powerful in its negativity towards women. I'm curious to get your comments. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, I, I think that what's, you know, the things that are being said are simply being said out loud, but a lot of people have been thinking them to themselves, and I think that's the unfortunate thing, is, you know, the, the genie is out of the bottle, and um, and it's it's something that a lot of women experience on a daily basis, being thought of in a particular way, or seen a particular way, or having their body touched in a particular way, or spoken about in a particular way, and a lot of people believe that that's okay. And unfortunately, and, and this is, you know, I don't want to be on a political soapbox, but I think that, that 
suddenly there there's permission for people to say these things out loud that they've been thinking all along. And um, there, there has to be a way of combating this. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I think one of the ways that we can combat it is for women or anybody who feels that they're being spoken about or touched or, or, or seen in a particular way that's negative, that they have to speak up when it happens, not a, not a month later or a year later, but when it happens, while it's happening, you have to tell people that it's not okay. I love that. And, you know, our Diva Inspiration Megan Trainer, did just that when they released the music video for this next song entitled Me Too. Apparently she discovered that her waist had been digitally slimmed without her permission. So what did she do? Just what Lorraine said. She spoke up, and she made them pull the video, and they could not release it until it was corrected and re-released with her actual waist being shown the way it was. So, you know, there's no coincidence that we chose to play Megan Trainer tonight uh, and discuss this topic, body image and diabetes. We'll be taking your calls at the end of the hour. Again, always a pleasure to work with you, Lorraine. Thank you for inspiring us. We're going to let um, Megan Trainer continue on that path and share this next song, Me Too, courtesy of Sony Music. Thank you, Amazing song. I mean, this woman, Megan Trainer, is so full of empowerment. It's hard to believe that someone would have altered her image for a song like that. I mean, it's incredible when you listen to the lyrics to think that someone wasn't happy with her body. Well, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night, everyone. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and that's part of the conversation that's happening tonight. Um, it's time to meet two guests. We're going to be talking about body image and diabetes from the healthcare perspective with Patricia Addy Gentle from Atlanta. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Matt. And Dr. Arnod Krongrad from Florida. Hello, Dr. Arnod. Hi, Max. Uh, I know you're from Florida, so how did you fare with Hurricane Matthew? Uh, we dodged a bullet. You know, everybody got ready. We put our shutters up uh, and then just hunkered down, but it, it passed right by us, at least us in, you know, we're in Miami. I think farther north it was much more of a problem. And obviously, you know, we've got colleagues up in the Carolinas, and they're struggling. They're losing power, flooding. It's pretty bad. Yeah, well, my family's in um, the Carolinas and Columbia and Charleston, and my mom's going to be on the show later. They're fine. But we do know that South Carolina has been hit hard. Um, Well, it's no secret that body shaming is widespread on the Internet, especially if you follow one presidential candidate on Twitter. Um, (laughs) But some of those comments are coming from people uh, who are supposed to be the most understanding and supportive, like medical professionals. According to the American Academy of Family Physicians, many patients who are obese voice concerns about medical professionals' perceptions of their weight, which could lead to a delay in seeking medical care. We just heard from Lorraine. Uh, Patricia, so I want to start with you about, you know, your view on this, about how people, specifically healthcare professionals who work with the diabetes community, um, how they perceive people of different body uh, weight. 
Well, Max, yeah, there's a lot of sensitivity training that uh, goes on, but unfortunately not everybody in healthcare uh, tends to follow that trend. And there are healthcare workers who are not so sensitive at times. I have spoken with patients or consumers who have really experienced some horrible setbacks when it comes to body image and how they were perceived by healthcare providers. And I can so relate to what Lorraine said about the, having the mammogram. I once had a lady um, who had been delinquent on having her pap smear uh, for a long, long time, and we talked about it, and I asked her, um, you know, what her um, – drawback was or what was the barrier in her having the pap smear. She also was overdue for colonoscopy and uh, various procedures that, you know, with age, we uh, have recommendations that certain things should be done. And she um, told me exactly what Lorraine had just said, that it's her body that she was really felt ashamed and she did not want to go to a provider because she always felt so belittled when she had to undress and have certain procedures done. And she felt that she didn't even fit properly on the exam table. But um, unfortunately, people do experience that type of stigma all the time, um, much more often than we would like to believe. Okay, and before we get into what we could do to help relieve some of that, Dr. Arnott, let's talk about from the men's perspective. This seems to be a little dirty secret about how men perceive their body, that they're all okay with it. And then, you know, you heard about the obstacles for a woman like Lorraine. I'm, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what the obstacles might be for a man. So uh, to put it in broad perspective, in 2016, I think we broadly accept that it's not acceptable to discriminate against nationality, religion, sexuality, uh, or at least there's, there's a strong trend in the direction that we all accept that it's not okay to discriminate against those things. But when it comes to our bodies, um, things like obesity, which is what we're touching on here, uh, it, it, it seems that that is okay. In other words, there's social permission uh, to do that sort of thing. Uh, there was an article last year in, uh, that came out in England in The Independent that said obesity is our last great prejudice. I don't think that's true. I think we have others we need to overcome. Uh, erectile dysfunction, which is often associated with obesity, the so-called last great prejudice, is in and of itself um, taboo. I mean, it, it carries enormous uh, stigma. So just as some of your other guests have touched on on, on the fact that women feel um, very self-conscious, I think you quoted a number of 80% of American women are right. not satisfied with their right. Um, just as they feel that sort of um, embarrassment, if you will, at, at being perceived or, or, or being overweight, uh, men have the same problem. I mean, obesity affects both genders. Men with erectile dysfunction, who commonly are overweight, face that and the additional taboo of, of something that's not visible. You can't see erectile dysfunction the way, the way you can see uh, body fat. Uh, and the fact that it's even less out in the open than obesity. So for these guys, uh, and, and obviously diabetes touches greatly on this also, um, it's a double whammy. It, it's a very difficult problem. And I honestly don't know how you solve it. Uh, our society is just so closed 
to what I would call authentic conversations of sexuality. We're very open to the prurience, right? We're, I mean, look at the presidential campaign. Uh, as soon as CNN releases a video, uh, an audio tape from 10 years ago, everybody wants to get his hands on it to listen to the fine details of exactly which words, you know, the candidate said. Right. But try to have a, a candid conversation about uh, I can't have an erection anymore, and people will shut you down. They don't. They're uncomfortable with that, and so the men are kind of cloistered off in a in a corner to deal with it largely on their own. Well, how so? How do you overcome it? I mean, it's, I, I know we're talking about uh, this is a touchy subject for people, which is really strange. I agree with you. I mean, I do a lot of work in Don't Let Diabetes Kill Romance, and there always seems to be like, oh, can you whisper about that subject? But uh, nine times out of ten, everyone le- leans forward in their chair to hear more about it. So, you know, how how can someone get past that stigma with their doctor? I mean. Who takes, um, it seems to me like people assume that the healthcare provider should take the initiative in changing the conversation. I, I think you're right. I, I think the value is exactly well placed. In other, in other words, I, I think that doctors should enable a patient to express discomfort with whatever it is, right? Um, social relationships, uh, pain, physical pain, emotional pain. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. Um, the simple reality today is that most doctors, and I would, I would point specifically at primary doctors, which is where I think the conversation needs to begin, somebody's doing a comprehensive evaluation of your health, are overworked, uh, busy with bureaucracy, busy with EMRs. I don't know if you saw this. A study came out about a month ago, I think, something like that, that showed that for certain doctors in a, in a, in a regular outpatient uh, sort of primary setting, they spend, I think the number was 47% of their time with the electronic medical record. I don't think the general public is aware of what's happening at that level, and I don't mean to use that as an excuse, but I see that as an explanation of the fact that doctors, one of the reasons, besides the taboos and the discomfort, that doctors are too tired and too overworked to really begin to deal with something that they may not perceive as being immediately life-threatening, like your sugar is completely out of control or your blood pressure is completely out of control. So, yes, you're right. They should be the ones. Given the circumstances. Well, and, and um, Patricia, I want to ask you to get back in the conversation. I, I was looking at uh, Twitter users worldwide came together to share their experiences about tweeting solidarity in a hashtag called fat uh, Fat Side Stories, and um, one of them, Amanda, said, every doctor's visit always starts with a weight loss discussion and ends with a pamphlet on bariatric surgery, which, you know, Funny. goes to the point, wow. like, she doesn't even want to come, Amanda doesn't even want to go to the doctor's office to, to check her blood sugars or have someone uh, do an A1C test on her because of this. So what's going on, and, like, when you go to an... AADE meeting, uh, what are they talking about? I mean, do, do the certified diabetes educators ever kind of rally around this topic and make some discussion and make some point to kind of change the what's going on, that every person with type 2 diabetes is obviously should be sold on a new diet fad? I mean, it's just alarming to me. Well, the concentration um, amongst most educators is how do we change behavior and how do we, um, you know, come to a conversation that will motivate a person to change behavior. And so lifestyle changes are primarily what we concentrate on. It's pretty much 
eating more balanced meals, and, of course, increasing activity. But there is conversation about bariatric surgery, and it just depends on what your focus is or what uh, your particular practice is concentrating on at that particular time, I would suppose. But for me, I have always tended to uh, prefer lifestyle changes. Sometimes it's thought that um, there is something that's needed that's a little more drastic in certain cases where maybe a person is considered to be morbidly obese. But um, just in general, weight loss, we discuss life, the, the lifestyle changes that can be um, very small steps that lead towards big rewards. All right, so then let's turn the tables quickly. What if the patient is a huge advocate of themselves and they come to you and they come in and they're and I'm coming to talk to you, Dr. Arnott, about my erectile dysfunction. I just put it right on the table. This isn't about my weight. This is about helping me with my erection. Is that going to move the conversation forward or are you going to backtrack and kind of cover what I just asked you not to? Well, it, it depends. If you're talking about a situation of, uh, let's say, a new diagnosis or a new complaint, I think it would be inappropriate to completely bypass uh, the possible role of psychosocial and, 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 and all kinds of factors in causing the erectile dysfunction. So, for example, again, I'm making the assumption that you're talking about a first complaint. It's not something we've been talking about together for five years, okay? Sure, okay. It's, it's my responsibility to be sure that you understand that some things that you're doing may be predisposing you, especially since some of those things can be reversible. For example, men complain about erectile dysfunction when they're exhausted. It has nothing to do with obesity. They're just working too hard, not getting enough sleep, that sort of thing. It turns out that when you send them on vacation, the erections return. Not in all cases, but in some cases, there are things happening that are easy to, to, to reverse, Okay. Um, you certainly want to be sure that the patient understands that before he goes off and has surgery, you know, whether it's weight loss surgery or penile implant surgery or any kind of surgery, right? So I may not bypass it. I may stop right there and say, you know what, I just want to be sure that you understand that there's a cause, maybe a cause and effect relationship between those two things, and, and then go from there. I love it. All right, and you, Patricia, final thoughts on this. If we turn the tables and the patient becomes the advocate and really wants to take their weight or their BMI off the table, so to speak, and get to the, to get to the root of the diabetes, how do you react to that? How do educators uh, receive a patient like that? Um, in my opinion, the care, the management of care centers around the patient. And my philosophy is to conduct business in a consumer-centric manner. So whatever the patient's focus is, um, if it's not something that's detrimental, then that's the focus that I try to follow and help that person achieve. And if necessary, we help them to find, um, you know, we, we want them to be their advocate. So we help them to find a primary care provider or a different provider who is going to allow them to take that lead and have a consumer-centric approach. Great. All right. Well, thank you both for being on the show tonight. Patricia, later on we're going to be playing some games with our 
our special diva of the hour, Doris Hobbs. So stick around for that. Dr. Arnard, thank you again for joining us and giving us the male perspective on body image and diabetes. Our next song by our diva inspiration, Megan Trainer, wrote about a heartbreak she actually experienced at the age of 18. She said it was one of the most personal songs she's ever written. Let's take a listen to Just a Friend to You. When you say I'm just a friend to you Cause friends don't do the things we do Everybody knows you love me too Trying to be careful with the words I use Say it cause I'm dying too I'm so much more than just All right, we're back with Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and today we're talking about body image and diabetes. Now, for many of us, that topic involves a relationship with food. My next guest is a happy diabetic, a.k.a. Chef Robert Lewis. Please welcome him to the show. Hello, Chef Robert. Hey. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm great. Uh, you were just in San Diego at the Taking Control of Your Diabetes uh, event. Tell everyone about this wonderful outreach event. I've I've been there too, and I, I'd love to share their message with our community. Yeah, I mean it's a great event that focuses on bringing the message of living with diabetes to the average person. You know, a lot of great people there, um, a lot of great doctors and endocrinologists and 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 professionals, but the the emphasis is really on how to bring that message in a way that speaks directly to the consumer in a non-doctor slide way, right? So very basic, very simple, hands-on, face-to-face, real world, people with living living with diabetes like myself, helping people improve the way they live. So it's a great event. About two thousand people there. It was. Um, fabulous i kind of call it my thunder show so i'd like to bring a little thunder to people i love it all right so we are talking about body image and diabetes and i'd love to get a male perspective on it especially with living with diabetes you've been living with um type 2 diabetes for about what 15 years yeah matter of fact max i was just thinking about that it's been almost 19 now wow and you've been happy and healthy yeah, I mean, I happened for the most part, but there were moments and there are moments where I'm, you know, a little discouraged because maybe I'm not eating the way I should and I'm gaining a little weight and, you know, I just, I, I just, it's a roller coaster, right? Um, but every day better than the one before it is the way I like to look at it. So, you know, someone told me one time, you know, they, they explained to me why a rearview mirror is smaller than a windshield is because it's not about where we've been, it's about where we're going. So I really try to focus on where we're going. I love that, but it must I this is a this is a wonderful to talk to you about it because you are a professional chef. So you're around food all the time. So if your right. if your body image stems a little bit from your weight, I mean, how do you deal with that? And I know a lot of our listeners also enjoy food, work with food, work within the food industry. So how how do you manage that? You know, I really try to look at the foods that I eat like it's not the last meal I'm ever going to have on this planet. 
you know, and especially going into the holiday season, a lot of people look at that. So I, I really try to take baby steps. I really try to try to balance out the foods that I eat and I love, like chocolate and things like that. But it's, for me, it's a matter of just pacing myself and just really exercising as much self-control as I can. Um, but listen, Max, you know as well as I do that sometimes can be very difficult to do. Absolutely. So um, tonight we were going to talk about hot dogs because I know it's the end of the summer and it's fall, everyone, but next year's murder mystery is going to be set at the Mermaid Parade in Coney Island, which is one of the biggest art parades in the country. And also Coney Island is the home of Nathan's Hot Dogs, which they happen to have the world's most famous hot dog eating contest. So hot dogs are something on people's menu. Uh, Holidays are definitely on everyone's schedule. There's going to be a little bit of a chance of indulgence. And um, I'm curious to know how you would help me navigate through both of these challenges. You know, the poor hot dog, this poor thing gets a terrible, horrible rap, right? It gets a bad rap. Let's just be honest. So what I like to think about is, I mean, for me, I try to find a really great hot dog. You know, one that is about 200 calories or less, five grams of saturated fat, low low sodium as I can, and I like the all-beef Hebrew national-style kosher-type hot dogs. But listen, a hot dog is a hot dog, so what I try to focus on is the toppings, right? So I'm thinking about if you're going to make hot dog healthy, why not try to figure out some toppings that are healthier, like shredded cucumbers, which are, you know, low in calories and have high in vitamin C and potassium, or, you know, maybe a low-sodium chili that has lots of fiber and protein, or white beans that's high in fiber and protein, fresh herbs, dill, cilantro, those kinds of things. Um, So I like to focus on creating theme dogs right, like a West Coast dog with avocados, sprouts, maybe some shredded cucumbers, baby spinach and a little yellow mustard, maybe some chopped fresh basil. So kind of kick up the interesting healthy flavors opposed to just the same old relish, onions, hot dog, or, you know, uh, mustard or ketchup. And what do you do about the bun? You know what, if I can, I'm going to eat the barkiest, whole weediest, fibery-looking bun I can find. But you don't have a lot of choices on bun. It's either white or basic whole wheat. So I'm going to go with whole wheat, or I'll do like a lettuce wrap hot dog. Oh, I love a lemonade hamburger. I've never seen one with a hot dog. So I know this is kind of tricky because what lettuce do you use to roll a hot dog in? You know what? You almost kind of make it like a taco. So you could use like butter lettuce or you could use, like, leaf lettuce, or just, you know, like like an Asian chicken wrap. Use, like, the outer leaf of an iceberg lettuce and just be gentle. So you'd be surprised. I mean, there's some good lettuces that would easily work. Okay, so in general, though, like approaching the holidays, what are your feelings about using substitutes, like either um, sugar substitutes low-fat versions of the dairy products or cheeses or, you know, is that something that you do regularly and encourage people to do or do you kind of encourage more portion control when you attack the holidays? 
I I encourage portion control. I mean, listen, I'm not all about, I, I mean, I don't want to substitute the flavors of the food that I love, but really the problem with some of those products are they're higher in carbohydrates or higher in sodium to offset the fat and those sorts of things. So I'm suggesting eat the full flavor foods, but everything in moderation. And we should tell everyone, every time you do a demonstration, I mean, every time you appear like at a taking control of diabetes, you do do a demonstration. You do show people how to make something uh, healthy as well as flavorful. So when you were at, um, when you were in San Diego, what were you preparing? So I made two dishes. I made a really simple and easy, what I call my Mediterranean chicken of love. So it really is kind of a a, a, a melange of stir-fry vegetables like peppers and red onions, highly colored fruits and vegetables, right, are my go-to things because they're very high in antioxidants. So red pepper, green pepper, red onion, mushrooms, Kalamata olives, a little vegetable stock, some lean chicken, garlic, oregano, basil, rosemary, stir-fry it all up, really nice, super fast, um, and about 8 grams of carbohydrates. Wow, so and I'm getting dish? a question. I'm getting a question on our Facebook chat while we're doing this live right now. Uh, yes. Someone's asked, this is completely unrelated, but this woman, I believe her name is Beverly. Has he ever cooked with um, spaghetti squash? Because I heard it's low carbs, and I'm really terrified of what that would mean to eat. Yeah, that that's a great that's question. That's about as honest I as it gets. Yeah, I love spaghetti squash. And was that Barb Max? Is that who you said that was? Uh, Beverly. Beverly. So yeah. Have Beverly reach out to me on my on my Facebook page, and I will send her an amazing stir-fry um, spaghetti squash recipe. But I really like it because it's super delicious, low in carbohydrates, and it's easy to make and is a great fall food, easy to find. But are all spaghetti squash created equal, meaning like if I go to my neighborhood Fairway or um, Whole Foods in New York City, can I just pick up any one, or is there, do you have a tip on how to choose the right spaghetti squash? You know what? I've only seen really one variety, yellow, kind of looking like a miniature football, right? And I just like to slice it in half, take all the seeds out, turn it upside down in a glass dish with a little water in a microwave, about 25 minutes till it's nice and tender, and that's ready to go. Scrape out the inside, a little extra virgin olive oil in a saute pan, some mushrooms, fresh tomatoes, herbs, garlic, saute it all up. Beautiful. I mean, it really wow, is a simple food. I love food. I can love my body, right? Loving food, love your body. Will you share that recipe with us tomorrow? Send that recipe to me. I'll put it up on the DivaBetic blog for oh, Beverly and everyone will. tomorrow. It's an amazing recipe. It's really, really great. And he, all and right, of course, before you go, I have to yeah. thank you publicly for appearing on our Diabetes Mystery Podcast, Suspect Boulevard, last month. You uh, were the last-minute uh, replacement, and uh, you came in the day of the show and nailed the part of Nigel. I, I just loved having you on the show. Thank you so much for doing that for everyone. Well, thanks for asking me. It was Really, it was a lot of fun. Super good time. Yeah. You were great. You were firing those guns left and right. Poor Nigel Lowenworth. If you don't know what happened to him, everyone, tune into that podcast. It's available on demand for free at divabetic.org, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Chef Robert. Thank you for sharing that recipe with us, and we'll have you back soon. 
All right, Max. Love you, man. Take care. All right. Hey, our diva inspiration, Megan Trainer, has another self-love anthem, and it's a little bit uh, less about the bass and more about everything else. There's really no doubt that once you hear "I love me," that Megan Trainer loves herself and wants you to love yourself too. So do we at Diva Better Glam More Fearless. Let's take a listen to "I Love Me." I love me. I love me. I love me. I don't know about you, baby, I love me, everybody say Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Tonight we're talking about body image and diabetes with my guests. And right now we're going to have a guest back on the show. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have her back because now she's working with Diabetes What to Know, the website and the support group. Um, please welcome to the show one of my favorite diabetics. I met her last year. She's so lovely, Cindy Lou. Hello, Cindy Lou. Hey, Max. Uh, you know, when I first met you, you started a support group, uh, your own support group for people living with type 2 on Facebook, and now you're working for an organization. Yes. Life sure brings a lot of opportunities with diabetes, evidently. So tell us a little bit about your story from diagnosis with type 2 diabetes. Just to, uh, Some people might not be as familiar as some of our fans are about uh, who you are and how you've managed your care. I left the doctor's office with my blood work in hand and came home and Googled my numbers and found out I had diabetes. Um, it was very frustrating, but I hear this story over and over, Max, from people that, and, and recently I found out that in 2012 I should have been diagnosed when I finally got a hold of my blood work back that far. I should have had a diagnosis in 2012, but hey, hey, somebody missed that, and I don't understand how that happens so often, but I guess that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm because you're discovering through the community of mostly people with type 2 that a lot of them are not getting that information straight up. Do you think that they're not wanting the information, or there uh, seems to me there's a lot of reluctance from the healthcare provider? Exactly. I think that's it. I don't I don't understand how we're allowed to walk out of doctor's offices not knowing that we have diabetes. I don't think I'll ever understand that. All right. So we were um we're talking about body image and diabetes and I chatted you up on Facebook about this. Um you mentioned that your own story with body image after diagnosis didn't really change, but a lot of people in your community have been bariatric patients who've lost a lot of weight and they still haven't really changed their perception. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I don't think my body image has changed like you said and like I told you. I've talked with so many others, other diabetics and bariatric patients that have lost lots of weight. And it seems like many of us still feel like the big us. I think the most enlightening surprise to me out of all of this is that for me and for so many others, we are so amazed with what our bodies are capable of once we get our mindset right and wrapped around our health rather than our appearance. Um, I've been a big girl all my life, even in grade school, and it's really hard for me still to pull a pair of pants off the rack that are the same size as what I bought last time 
and do anything other than look at them and think, well, those things aren't going to fit. But then they zip and they button. And so many times, so many people I talk to, they have the same reaction. Um, it seems like none of us could get the weight off and keep it off as long as it was a focus of appearance. But now that it's part of our health needs, then we don't seem to have any problem getting it off and keeping it off. And don't you think those things go hand in hand? Like the idea of managing your care better kind of improved your idea of how you thought of uh, what you thought of yourself. Not so much because of what was on the scale, but just like you mentioned earlier, a lot of a lot of people with type two diabetes are amazed at what their body can do and how quickly it can change. Did that did that kind of um, transform? your feelings about yourself in general? Well, sure it does. I mean, when you realize that you can control as long as that focus is on something besides how you look, uh, it's a big thing. And I knew going into it that I did not need a pair of scales at home for me to be weighing on. So I just, after after the initial appointment and finding a dietitian, I made sure there were no scales for me to weigh at home on, and I only weighed at doctor appointments, and I just let my clothes kind of guide what was happening, but I didn't put any any of my perspective on the clothing, if, if you understand what I'm saying. My, my perspective was on my meter, not on my clothes. Right, and then as you began to become friends with your meter, then it, you started to kind of get a little bit more adventurous with the clothes? Oh, it puts your wind, the wind in your sails. When, when you get <laughs> friends with the meter and you see what you're able to accomplish, then where I had worn black and brown and off-white all my life, oh, my. You know, when you see you're doing this great thing with your meter and your doctor is jumping up and down saying, I don't feel like to do this. And, you you know, I refer to it as the feigning doctor syndrome because, Doctors evidently don't see a lot of type 2s that initially grab control really fast. And one thing about the group that we're in now, we're teaching people how to do this before, you know, because a a dietitian appointment, it takes a while to get one. And so we're showing them ahead of the dietitian appointment what they need to know and what they need to do to begin to gain control and I get to watch all these people light up just like I did, you know, and I'm I'm talking to them about, hey, girl, your world's going to be polka dots and red, you know. <laughs> you know I love it. Pretty so, um, I want you to stick around because we have another diva coming up. But what before we go, what's one of the things that has you've seen the light bulb go off on people when they find out who were in your situation? Like what's something that you commonly have told someone living with type 2 who's been newly diagnosed or struggling with their numbers that you you suddenly see them take a, uh, the the road turns for them in the bed for the better. Well, my first comment to them is say what I told you on the beginning is true. I tell people that what I thought was a death sentence when I was diagnosed has turned out to be the greatest blessing in my life because I'm healthier now than I have been in years. And to see them share that same train of thought when they get their numbers down to normal you see it over and over and over. It's like I thought this was a death sentence, but it's not. I'm in better shape than I've been in my whole life. And, you know, they're they're so thankful for that. They're so thankful to everyone who has helped them, just like I'm thankful to you. Well, and I'm thankful for you for sharing that. Now, please stick around because Doris Hobbs might need your help 
when we play some games with her. So um, coming up, we're going to meet our diva in the spotlight tonight, Doris Hobbs, who's a glamorous diva. She loves vintage. She's a model. She's an author. But first, we're going to hear another Megan Trainer song. This one features Lunch Money Lewis. Let's listen to I Won't Let You Down, courtesy of Sony Music. theme song at Divabetic. I might have to play that when I go to the Divabetic Club coming this month. I'll be there in Philadelphia at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital on October 20th. Then I'll be coming back on October 22nd to do two programs in one month. Hey, they're both free and you could register for these free programs at divabetic.org or check out the Thomas Jefferson Hospital website in Philadelphia to find out more information. Well, it's time to meet our fabulous diva of the moment. I'm welcoming you back to Diabetes Late Night, letting you know I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm glad to roll out the red carpet tonight for a glamorous diva living with type 1 diabetes. Please welcome Doris Hobbs. Hello, Doris. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful, and I'm glad you could join us tonight. I, I, I really want our audience to meet you. You know, we're talking about body image and diabetes. I mentioned quickly that you are an author, but you're also a model, and you love uh, vintage glamour from the 40s. So tell us a little bit about your diabetes story, starting with diagnosis, and how some of the uh, glamorous side of life has helped you along the way. Oh, it's been a long journey of self-growth, I'll tell you that. Um, So on October 22nd of 2014, I found my life carrying not only a new purpose, but a new lifestyle as a type 1 diabetic. Until July of this year, I didn't want to share it publicly, nor wear it as a sympathy card. When I was doing my fashion blog, richandlafashion.com, I hit it for a while because I didn't want people to not see the vintage anymore and see a a diabetic. I wanted them to still see that 1940s glamour. So I kept it very quiet. But then something just kind of hit me, and I said to myself, I have a story, and I'm telling the story of all these other women that wore the garments before me. And I should be proud of this and share it as well. So in July, as you saw, you already read my blog post about it, and I shared my story, and I had so many people come out and encourage me, support me, and tell me that they were diabetics too. Even past, you know, clients that I've worked with have came forward and said, yeah, I'm a diabetic, I'm type 2, I'm type 1, and it was just one of the best things I could have ever done, and I wish I would have done it sooner. And I just believe that you have to be authentic. I'm all about being authentic and having a level of gratitude and knowing that there's glamour that's going to come and and get you. So, Because that secret, holding on to that, Doris, can be really have a real negative impact. I mean, not letting people know your diagnosis, not um, showing them where your supplies are, not alerting to them how to help you if you're having a high or low, really puts Mm -hmm. the whole responsibility on you, right? I mean, there has to be a little bit of fear around that, as well as the idea that the invincibility that I'll be able to manage it, that you have to overcome in order to kind of do just what you're saying. Yeah, it was was just one of those things where I was 
so stubborn and I didn't want to admit it in a way. I mean, it's kind of, it might be kind of bad to say that, but I didn't want to admit it because, you know, I'm going to be 35 next month and this happened when a few years ago and it's still new to me, but I was just like, you know, in the beginning I was like, why me? But I remember going to bed after I was diagnosed the next day I went, you know, going to bed and I woke up and I said, okay, I got two options here. Option one, I can just deal with this, face it, make the best version of me, go on a journey of self-growth, become the best woman, build my character, and just, just basically live life to its fullest. Or I could sit here, cry and whine about it, and, pull, and have a sympathy card. And I just woke up and I said, no, I'm going to have the courage. I'm going to beat this, and it's, I'm not going to live with it. It's going to live with me, and I'm going to tell it what it's going to do. And I just went out with that empowerment and that way of thinking, and a few days later I was on location for a photo shoot still new to the whole insulin thing, just so like kind of so out of it, but I went out on location and I just did it and I felt so empowered. Like it was just amazing. And ever since I've been just learning much more holistic things with diabetes and trying to be as holistic and even um, attempting the paleo diet. I just been doing cardio workouts four thirty in the morning. I know it's kind of early, but that's the best time I see a huge like uh, number drop when I'm working out early in the morning. So I just do all these different things that not only motivate me, but when I tell, tell that to other people, they get inspired. Like if it's working for you, maybe it could work for me. And I'm like, yes, it could work for you. So. Absolutely. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit about body image and diabetes. Mm-hmm. Obviously you mentioned it earlier. You're a style blogger. You have rich in love with fashion mm-hmm. is the name of your blog. You're also a model. Mm-hmm. That industry is rampant with um, negative reinforcement for body image. So mm-hmm. what's your perspective on it? Because earlier in the show we were talking about how 80% of all women don't have a positive opinion about their body. And specifically, you know, when it comes to plus-size women, there's a lack of media coverage for them. There's a lack of imagery. There's only like 2% of all media images are actually plus size, which is the vast majority of women today? Well, I would have to say I've always been, you know, I've always had a European trait to me. I've always been, you know, skinny most of my life. And I've always, you know, eaten pretty healthy and stuff. But, you know, in in the whole modeling industry, I I definitely see how it could be tougher for women that are a little larger. But in the in the whole rim of it, you have to be authentic and you have to be proud of who you are. And there's a lot of women that are not skinny that have traits that I wish I had, you know, like maybe they have better cheekbones or their hair is better or, you know, just different things about them that I'm like, wow, I wish I had that. Like, to be honest, I wish I had a bigger chest, but I mean, that just comes with being really skinny. You don't have a big chest, but I mean, there's other things that women have that I wish I had too. And I feel like it's just, you have to be authentic in your own self where you're proud of who you are and what you're doing. And it shouldn't really matter what the critics say because there's always going to be someone that's always going to say something negative. I have people that say negative things about me too, that I'm too skinny, but that's, I'm just on a total, you know, I have to be healthy for diabetes because I see the positive side of it, you know, and I still eat, but I just don't eat a lot of carbs anymore. So, I mean, it's just, I think it's just having to be proud of who you are and just make the best version of who you are and not worry about what other people are going to say. 
Well, in preparation for the show, I went to see the new off-Broadway play Stuffed by comedian Lisa Lampanelli, and there it's about five char- five different women and their relationships to their body. And one of them mm-hmm. was the underweight woman who actually stated in the show that no one really ever he- listens to her um, issues around her body image based on being underweight since most people just seem to deflect that and think it's just, it's just great, great, great. So uh, I, I go explain a little bit more of your perspective because I do think that we don't really take the time to acknowledge it. We just assume that, oh, you're skinny, don't you have no complaints, and, and go on. And I'm just curious to know, like, did you, did you get a lot of negative um, – were there negative uh, messages being sent to you from, uh, as you were growing up well, around that? How did you handle it? Well, no, mostly when I was growing up, I got teased for my red hair. That's what I got teased for the most, not about, like, being skinny. But I think for me it was, like, height. I was always kind of, like, you know, criticized for my height because I was really tall growing up. But I also think the worst for me for my weight was when when I was pre, like, before being diagnosed because I went through about eight to nine months walking around with diabetes, not even knowing it. And my, my value of my life was zero. I, I had no energy. I couldn't figure out why I was losing all this weight. I wasn't doing it on purpose. And it was, I've had a few people later on after they found out that I was diagnosed with type 1, they apologized for saying that they thought I looked anorexic because they just didn't understand that. And I think a lot of people should not judge someone by their weight. If someone's too skinny or a little larger, you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know what, how their mindset is. You know, they might be super stressed and maybe that leads them to do something or maybe they're, they're, they're self-conscious and maybe that leads them to not eat enough. You just don't know. And I think people need to know the story. And I think it all goes down to what your story is. And I don't think people want to know people's stories. And I think that's sad because we all have a story. We all have a why, why we do what we do, why we do our rituals, why we, you know, you know, do the things, say the things we do. And I don't think enough people give that thought. They just instantly judge. Well, you're, you're heavier. So you eat a lot or you're skinny. So you're anorexic. And they don't give that chance to someone to say, okay, they're really skinny. Maybe they have a thyroid problem, or maybe they are sick, or maybe they're really super healthy. Yeah, right. They're undiagnosed. Yeah. That's true. So give us a little bit more background into your motto, because it's a lovely one. Every setback is a setup for a glamour in life, for the glamour in life. Yes. I just feel like diabetes, it's kind of in a way you don't want it of course nobody wants diabetes but I mean if I have no choice to have it and it can't be taken back I'm going to make the best out of it I am going to be the most glamorous diabetic out there and for me I was just recently on the cover by the way but I love that (laughs) well here's the thing when I was approached by Stiletto magazine to do this um, dark pinup editorial with three different looks and I was super thrilled. Well, I, get, I was even more thrilled when they said we're going to put you on the cover. When I was put on the cover, that meant more to me than anything because that showed that a type 1 diabetic could be glamorous on a cover of a magazine. It was just an aha moment for me to just be able to say that I am taking... <laughs> 
I am taking this setback. I'm taking something that is not favorable to me that I don't want, but I am making this the best I can. And I have gone since this has all happened. I have just basically transformed myself into the woman that I've always wanted to be the woman that I've always idolized, you know, like this is the woman I want to be. And I've made myself into that. And I believe diabetes was the push to get me to be this woman. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud that I have my numbers under control and I'm proud that people see me as an inspiration and they see when they know that now that I'm a diabetic and they see how glamorous I am, it almost puts a a mindset of you can do it too. If I can do it, you can be glamorous too. There's no reason you can't be. Let me help you. Let's glam you up with some accessories. You know, let's get some bling on you. So, I mean, yeah. So Absolutely. Well, you're speaking my language. Uh, you know, my <laughs> motto happens to be laugh a little, learn a lot, because I like to play games. And rather than oh tell you about my motto, I thought I'd rather show you about my motto. But first, before we play one of my favorite games, what came first, we're going to hear another song by our diva inspiration, Mega Training Trainer, courtesy of Sony Music. This song is called Hopeless Romantic. It made me think of you, um, Doris, because I think it has like a fun kind of 40s feel to it for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I'm ready to give you my heart. Just gotta find you so we can start. Oh. I love that song. Well, that's Megan Trainer, and we're back with um, Doris Hobbs, our diva in the spotlight tonight. Doris, we're going to play our first game. It's all about diabetes history because I know you love vintage fashion. I'm going to list mm-hmm. three things that happened in history, and you're going to have to put them in the correct chronological order, starting with what <laughs> happened first. To help oh you out God. tonight, I'm calling on our good friend Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, Doris, you've got a new friend. Her name's Cindy Lou. The two of you are going to have to try to put these three things together. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. Your three historical moments are the invention of the Polaroid camera. Number two, penicillin is first used to help cure uh, cure diseases. Excuse me. And number three, the American Dietetic Association devises a meal planner that divides food into six groups or exchanges based on calories, carbohydrates, protein, and the fat in each serving of food. Put them in the correct order. Oh, boy. Okay, so the camera, I'm going to say the you, camera I'm going to listen would... one more time. We're going to play a song by Evelyn Champagne King, and then when we come back, we'll see what you think, and then we'll see what Cindy Lou thinks. So here they are. Okay. The invention of the Polaroid camera... Penicillin is first used to help cure uh, cure diseases. And the third one is the American Dietetic Association devises a meal planner that divides food into six groups or exchanges. In the meantime, while Doris and Cindy Lou are in our side container over to the right, the think tank, we'll play a song from Evelyn Champagne King from our Angry Show last month. I love this song. I think it's perfect for the moment. It's time for you to decide. 
We're back at Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and we're playing games with Doris Hobbs and Cindy Lou. It's time to play What Happened First. All right, Doris, what's your answer? Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to go with the American Mill Plan was the first. The the Pillicillin was second. Yeah, the Pillicillin for the diseases was second, and the camera was third. Okay. <laughs> Cindy Lou. I'm saying penicillin was first, but the Polaroid Wait. camera was fourth. Then the Polaroid camera. Okay. And number three? And then, and then the Association of Diabetic Things, they planned out the six categories of food, and I don't know what year that was, but I think it was three. You got them all right, Cindy Lou. Wow, that's wow. a good friend to have in your corner, Doris. I have to tell you that. Uh, 1940, because I know you like vintage clothing from the 40s, right, Doris? Mm-hmm. Yes. 1940 was when penicillin was first used to help cure diseases. 1947 is when Edward Land invented the Polaroid camera. Mm-hmm. The first camera to produce finished prints instantly. D- didn't you love those cameras? I thought they were a blast. Um, and mm-hmm. then in 1950, Cindy Lou, the American Dietetic Association devised a meal planner that divides foods into six groups or exchanges based on calories, carbohydrates, protein, and the fat in each serving of food. Well, ladies, for playing tonight, you're both going to, and helping us raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way, you're both going to get a new Naturals gift basket filled of diabetic safe, low glycemic, tooth friendly sweeteners, a cabbage cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious low fat cheeses, and Dr. Greenfield's diabetes lotions and products, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. All together now, which. Woo-hoo. Woman's website makes you happy to be playing along with diabetes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being on the show tonight. I uh, I always love playing games. And um, stick around because we're going to meet our final guest, and then we'll come back and just see how everyone uh, – get everyone's reflections on the show. So we're getting right down to the end. I have to tell you, when I heard Megan Trainer's album – Thank you, which I really enjoy because it has so many songs of empowerment. There was one song that really stuck out to me, and I had to have uh, this show be about it because I wanted to salute the one person in my life, like Megan Trainer does in this song, um, that I'm so fortunate to have in my life. So let's take a listen to Mom, courtesy of Sony Music. You might have a mom, she might be the bomb, but ain't nobody got a mom like mine. Her love to the end, she's my best friend, ain't nobody got a mom like mine. She's my world, she's my heart, and there's no denying. I'm her girl, no matter what, even when I'm lying. She loves me, loves me, loves me, loves me, loves me.
Rosemary's Late Night. It's time to meet my mom. Please welcome Mama Rosemary. Hi, Mom. Hi. Thank you for the song. That was so neat. A cute song, right? Yes, thank you. Well, you've been a part of the podcast now since I think the third show we did six years ago. <laughs> Coming in every wow. month. It's always so much fun to have you on the show. Last month, once again, in our Diabetes Mystery Podcast, you somehow saved the day for me. I don't know I don't know how you find out that I'm in trouble, but you always come to my um uh rescue to help me out. Uh, tell everyone what what's it like to be part of that mystery podcast for you? Oh, I love it. I I think it's so great. I, I'm so amazed at how everyone participates and um it it was just a great show and you do so much work on it and I am so proud of you for doing that and it's just a fun show to have and you put in the uh healthy diabetes you always put something in there for that and um um I just am so honored to be part of it thank you well thank you and you know for people listening we never really talk about wh- how that show happens but uh, usually I, I work on the script. I, I um, send it to a bunch of people to get their edits. Lorraine writes a lot of her parts. Sometimes other people write their parts. Sometimes I write their parts for them. You and I, though, uh, Mom, when we came to writing your part, you and I kind of talked through it several times because you have a, a – we're not going to give it away because some people might – hopefully they'll come and turn into it. It's still available on demand. Uh, you had a key role in this in this murder mystery and helping us solve it as well as kind of confront the the killer. And uh, so to do that, you and I kind of went back and forth, and then uh, over the course of like three weeks, we do several um, read-throughs before we do it, which is it's a, it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but believe me, everybody, we're all having a great time doing it together. Yes, and my favorite part is and when we have a rehearsal, we're not that great, but when we come on live, we do a wonderful job. We all come together and it's just great and um uh as you said about uh chef robert lewis he was fantastic what a great stand-in he was and everybody was very good there's no question about it and i hope all more people tune in to listen to it because it's a lot of fun well you know tonight we're talking about body image and diabetes and a lot of research is showing that um the most important role model for a child is a parent when it comes to body image. So I'm curious what your tip is tonight. Yeah, well, I really would like to encourage uh, people, parents especially, to be so mindful of their children's weight and their health and their attractiveness also. Uh, So my tip uh, for parents tonight is our children pay attention to what we say or do, even if it doesn't seem like it. If you are always complaining about your weight or you feel pressure to change your daily body shape, your children can learn from these, uh, that these are important concerns. If your daughter, if you tell your daughter that she would be a little prettier if she just lost a little weight, she will learn that the goals of weight loss are to be attractive as well as healthy, and she would be accepted by others a little more easily. In my opinion, parents are role models and should always try to follow the healthy eating and physical activity patterns that you would like your children to follow. It's for your health and theirs. So with that, 
and my encouragement, I say ciao for now. And you did walk the talk, Mom, because you always encouraged all of myself and my three brothers to stay very active in our lives, which we all are. And um, I think that had tremendous influence on how uh, my perception of my body image as well as my health. But um, So thank you for being on the show, and thanks again for always uh, providing that inspiration for our listeners. We appreciate it so much. You're welcome. And it's my, as I said before, I'm honored to do it. All right, well, let's find out just a little bit more from Cindy Lou and Doris, uh, their websites, because I know people are going to want to hear more about uh, Cindy Lou. Tell us a little bit about what your new role is and how they could find out more about Diabetes What to Know. The website is diabeteswhattoknow.com. We're also on Facebook, Diabetes What to Know. We are a type 2 group, um, and that's pretty novel because most groups center on both types, but this is specifically for type 2. Um, Mostly we educate. There are training videos. There is a library available online, and we, like I say, that before we help until you see your dietitian, and then after that we help you understand all the information that you're getting because it's very hard. If you want to link to the support group as well, there's a, there's a place on the front page of our website on Facebook where you can link to the support group. And thank you so much, Max. Well, I, I wanted to have you on the show because I wanted to celebrate your your tremendous uh, success with this and how many people you've been able to help. And just the idea, like you said, you didn't know anything about your diagnosis. And look how much you've not only turned around your health but have helped others. I think you're an incredible role model and inspiration to anyone in our community to get more involved and to really embrace the idea of peer-to-peer education. Now, Doris, you're also such an inspiration. You have a, a blog. Uh, tell everyone a little bit about that, and, and maybe they'll follow you on your blog as well as check you out on Twitter. Um, so my blog was originally started just to bring back the lost art of dressing. I was, of course, love glamour, love dressing up, and I wanted the modern-day woman to be able to take a dress maybe from Banana Republic and put some accessories from the 1940s and make a perfect marriage together. That was the whole goal of it. And now it's just turned into a platform of inspiration where I will write about fashion or I'll write about a brand that I'm working with. And then sometimes you'll see how I mix fashion with inspiration or motivation and I mix the two together. And that's my outlet to be able to write and inspire people. So I try to make a nice blend of that. And as well, a lot of people say, well, where can I get your style? Because if it's vintage, I can't go to the department store and get it. So I set up a little Etsy store and I have proceeds going to beyond type one diabetes, where it's a foundation where I've um, submitted some of my stories about being glamorous with um, type one. And um, so you can actually shop some of the styles that I have worn on the blog and they're one of a kind, or if you're just looking for to support diabetes, you can go on the Etsy and do that as well. So it's just a well-rounded website of encouragement, glamor and style. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank all my guests and thank you, especially for listening out there. Please subscribe to our Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit our Divabetic Facebook pages and videos uh, on Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. Plus, we're getting ready to relaunch our new website in the next month. 
all in time for National Diabetes Awareness Month. Plenty of chances to see me live in Philadelphia at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. I'll be at Thomas Jefferson on Thursday, October 20th, and then again on Saturday, October 22nd. Plus, I'm coming back for the big Divabetic Victory Over Diabetes event on November 12th. That's a Saturday at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. All those dates and times and locations are listed on our website at divabetic.org. Listen, remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. I want to urge everyone to get out there and vote. So before we close the podcast, make sure you go out to vote. We're going to close with one more Megan Trainer song. It's called Watch Me Do, courtesy of Sony Music. Thanks for listening. I'm the shh, be quiet. I've been on a low hate diet. I'm the shh, be quiet. I've been on a low hate diet. Because I just woke up and I feel some type of way. I get off. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details